Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 248, The Price of Freedom. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week are your friends and mine, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Mark and Seth and everyone out there in internet land. I hope you had a great week. And greetings from the great state of Texas, I think. <laughs> you're not you're not sure where you are. Somewhere in the continental US. Actually, I'm not even sure about that. I've been doing lots of traveling recently. Uh and that's that's a fun. I mean, I like that sort of thing. I don't know that if you do or not, but uh uh you're, you know, you're single, you got no kids. Uh it's it's the good, right time of your life to be doing that kind of thing. Yeah, um it was just you know, okay, I was supposed to fly back in from Memphis, which, by the way, if you're ever in Memphis, you have to go to BB King's and have the ribs. Oh, my gosh. I was the last one through at the table. Uh, Mark knows what that means. Uh, very good. Maybe the second best meal I've ever ate in my life. Did you get them so, wet or dry? Uh, wet. Okay. You know, all slobbered in sauce. And of course, because it's ribs, part of the sauce stayed on my shirt has a visible reminder of my time there. Um, well worth it though. So BB Kings for some ribs and the music was, Mm. you know, I enjoyed it. House band did some Motown and some other stuff and a very, very enjoyable night. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. So, not uh, a fan of ribs, but uh, definitely sounds like a fun place. And I oh, thought we awesome. could be friends. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you to leave my show now. <laughs> okay. I can't. Yeah, no, but uh, when I was flying back, I was supposed to fly back Friday. And after sitting in the airport for seven hours, they canceled the flight. So I rented a car from Memphis and I started driving home at about eight, got home at about 345 in the morning. And then so I woke up a little bit later in the morning. And drove to the airport to get a new suitcase because they broke mine and to turn in my rental car and pick up my car. So I still had to go to the DFW airport even when I drove in from Memphis. So fun times indeed. Sounds like So you drove in and then flew to the airport to get your flat. So your bag flew, but you drove. No, because, you know, okay, they, uh, you know, they said, well, we can get you on this flight at like four at like, it was like four 30 the next day and you'll get into Dallas about six in the afternoon. I said, no, I want my bag now. I've already rented a car. I'm leaving. So when my bag comes off the conveyor belt, it's broke. I go into baggage claim and she's like, um, I'm sorry, we don't have any bags here. You know, fill out this form. It'll be a week. I said, no, I'm flying next week. I need a new bag. And she's like, well, the airport in Dallas has replacement bags. So I had to go to the airport anyway to turn in my car. So dumped basically all my clothes out on my bed, put my broken laptop in the rental, drove to, which by the way, Chevy Traverse, nice vehicle. Um, if you're, if you're a bigger person like me or a nice vehicle, I was like the first person to drive it because it had like 10 miles and then nice. you know, it had like 500 when I turned it in. So yeah, I had to go turn in my broke bag and course the guy listened to me and then he fills out all the stuff and he says okay if you don't hear from us in the week i was like no 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 replacement uh and then so he takes me to this other room it tries to hand me this little bag and i said no i want a bag the same size and i said i want that one and he's like okay and so when we <laughs> go back in there i, I said it right next to my old one I said see these are the same size 
And, you know, so I so guess like, he realized. By bag, you mean your suitcase? or your- Yes, suitcase. Okay. So they just keep extra suitcases at the airport? I had no idea. I didn't uh, either. Smaller airports usually have like one of each size, but DFW, they had like a closet full of them and it was brand new. It had tags on it and everything. So he got off his number and um, I took it home. So, huh? I didn't know you could do that. Well, I mean, obviously it, it was the, my bag was broken because the handle that comes up um, where I can like pull it behind me as I'm walking um, had like, it had got up against something that kind of popped out a little bit and broke off. So it was obviously when it came off the conveyor belt that it was broken. And, um, you know, so they had their thing is we'll fix it and you'll get it back in like a couple of weeks. And I was like, no, that doesn't work for me. I travel. And then, so, uh, so then they replaced it. All right. That's a, that's a pro tip right there. Again, I did not know you could do that. Yeah, me either, because my bag had never been destroyed before. Oh, and here's a nice uh, travel hack, you know, since everybody used to love, likes to use that term for everything. Um, I did some laundry while I was in Memphis, and I had used my suitcase for, like, you know, to pull it, take my clothes to the laundry and bring them back. And so I had left the dryer sheets in there. Um, and so when I opened it up, like, two days later, I was like, Wow, my my laundry smells. My luggage smells kind of nice. So if you're going to be going on a trip, take a lug, uh, you know, one of those dryer sheets or two, and just put them in your bag. It'll help mm-hmm. your laundry. It'll help your uh, clothes smell better. All right. Yeah, I do that all the time when I travel. With the, oh, well, it was new for me. Yeah, that no, that that that's, that's a good one though. Uh, don't get me. Don't let me take it away from you. But yeah, that's that's a great one, especially if you're gone a week or longer. And you can snag it, like get the, you know how they have those uh, dryer sheets at the convenience stores at hotels. Yep. Go down and drop drop the couple dollars in to grab a dryer sheet or two after you've been gone a week and throw them in your suitcase before you leave. You'll you'll thank yourself later for it. Yep. And I have confirmed the uh, the pro tip that rolling your clothing is better than folding. That actually works. You get more in with less wrinkles. I I had to travel with a suit. Um, and I didn't want to wear the suit on the plane, so I carefully folded the suit coat and suit pants, and they came out wrinkle-free. It works. The rolling? Wait, you yeah. said rolling them, and then you said folded. So Rolling as opposed to folding. Oh, so, okay. But then you said you folded them, and they came out wrinkle-free. Uh, uh, so. Sorry, I carefully rolled the okay. suit. Yes. <laughs> okay. And it's, you know you got to re- be really careful with the collars, um, particularly yeah. with like a nice starch shirt, but you can do it, and it works. So. Here you go. Travel tips anonymous, or it's not anonymous. You know who we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cool podcast. Geeks travel. <laughs> uh, I uh, just a bit of a programming note. Uh, as it stands right now, we're probably not going to have a show next week. So uh, if we get into uh, you know uh, hour and fifty seven minute status on this show, and you're complaining that it's too long, just we're preloading for next week um, <laughs> yes but uh chris is out for family stuff and seth is probably where it's still up in the air but probably out for work uh so i could either come along and monologue which is not unheard of or we'll just skip the show uh so we'll just see what happens but uh, at the moment we're probably not going to be doing a show next week so deal with it um you get what you pay for i don't know some of you actually pay for it so i shouldn't say that See what what was your podcast? Uh, Sound and Fury. Sound and Fury. Yeah. yeah, it's still out there. It's still a live feed, and uh, that was just a 
that feed is my brain dump. When when I have something that I need to say, and and I've always been a guy who I never know what I think until I say it. Uh, I formulate my thoughts with words. Uh, so it's still out there. Uh, I feel a Trump one coming on. I really do. Um, but uh, I don't want to burn that up just yet. We've still got a, a, a few months. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes, thank you for that uh, in-house plug for Sound and Fury. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> Anything I can do to help. So I uh, here in my new house, I've been slowly getting things set up. And, and downstairs in the basement, I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, the uh, previous owner uh, had a kid who was a drummer. So he built said drummer uh, a like six by uh, nine uh, soundproof room down in the basement. Um, and I'm not using that as my, my studio because I happen to have an extra space that works really well for that. But I have set up my gear down there, my, my bass rig. And, you know, when, when you play electric bass, uh, you like to get a little loud. Um, so today was the first time I really had a chance to, to sit down and, and jam. So I, I've got a little mixer uh, set up down there. I've got my 1,000-watt bass amp and and my headphones and mics and monitors and the whole bit got it all set up and so today after church uh, I sat down uh, my my wife and kids were uh, going to a bridal shower or baby shower some sort of shower um, and so I had the house to myself I could really rattle the walls I plugged in my phone so I had some music to jam along to I had just gotten started and my phone rang and it was my wife and she had a flat tire and oh. um, so I had to go rescue her and she managed to run over a wrench a wrench. I mean, a double oh. box end wrench, like nine sixteenths on one side, half inch on the other, shoved through the tire and was sticking, like the small end was sticking in the tire. The other end was digging holes in the pavement as she drove. I, I don't even, if I paid her $100,000 to do that again, I don't think she could do it. But somehow she shoved a wrench through her tire. Um, And so I, I am in the admittedly the the georgia summer is not as hot as the texas summer but still i'm laying on the ground in a uh, asphalt pavement parking lot uh trying to figure out where this little stupid scissor jack can go in and quietly swearing so that my kids don't hear me and uh and <laughs> so that was my that was my afternoon and and seth uh, as i was in the middle of that actually i was just finishing up and packing up and seth texted me and was like you know, he said, hey, what, what's going on for the show today? Because I hadn't done any notes. And, man, I, I didn't rip him a new one, though I was thinking about it. It's like, don't you know this thing that you couldn't possibly know? Um, don't you know not to bother me right now that I haven't done a show note? I'm kind of busy right now. But what I just sent him back was the topic of the show. But so that was my day. That was no fun. So traveling <laughs> isn't always fun. No, not always. So we went up to the tire discount tire warehouse where we got the tire. We've got Road Hazard. And, of course, they're not open on Sunday. Uh, so now she's driving around on a donut until we can get up there. But how do you run over a wrench? Okay, well, running over a wrench is not a big deal. How do you shove a wrench through a steel-belted radial? That's amazing. Okay, here's the question. Is the wrench still in good enough shape that it becomes part of your toolbox of crap <laughs> your tool in your <laughs> It's entirely possible, but I'm going to have to cut it out. I mean, I couldn't pull it out. It was so wedged in there. Oh, um, really? And the other end, the, the, I'm, I'm actually uh, fearful that it damaged the steel hub. Um, Ooh, because yeah. you know, it's, it was up, up ended. Right. And so every time she rolled over and she stopped, you know, pretty much immediately, but she still had to pull into the parking lot. So, you know, a uh, quarter mile, maybe that she ran on that. And it's possible that it was digging into the wheel hub every time she did that. So I'm just, we're just going to have to wait and see once we get the tire off. Yeah. You need to keep that tire pay like the $4 recycling fee. I mean, that that's an awesome Facebook picture, uh, <laughs> 
hang up in the garage stories to tell your kids about honey your mom ran over a ranch i don't know how you run over a ranch so fun times and of course i wasn't mad at her i was mad at the situation but my wife was like i'm so sorry it's not your fault i mean a million to one chance this happened and it just happened to you of course she didn't make it to the shower yeah uh but she was she was uh, thought I was mad at her. I was just mad at the situation. You know, guys get like that. It, women, if you're listening, all two of you, just know that guys get like that. They're not mad at you. They're just mad at the fact that they're laying on the pavement in the August sun. Yeah. Yep. It's just like women don't want us to fix the problems when they talk. They just right. want to just say, Men, we're not mad at you, women. We're just mad. Right. <laughs> and uh, It's like that line from White Man Can't Jump. The only good thing about White Man Can't Jump was that line with Woody Harrelson and, and uh, Rosie Perez where she said, when I say... I'm thirsty. It means that I want you to sympathize with me to say, I too understand what it means to want water. And Woody Harrelson says, when I say I'm thirsty, it means if anybody got some water, I'd sure like to have some. Um, right. That's the cleaned up non F bomb version of that. But, uh, I was going to say, I don't remember that many words put together without profanity over the course of that movie. I, I don't think there was more than like four words ever without an F bomb in there or some, some profanity. Yeah, I think they went back and edited them in if they, uh, if they <laughs> just messed in them. case they missed something. Yeah. <laughs> so Seth, uh, wait, Chris is now a world famous or at least locally famous dungeon master. Well, I might, I will be. So yeah, we're having a local comic con here at the end of the month, and uh, they had all the geeky stuff that you could think of. You know, the 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 dress up or the I just lost the word cosplay. Cosplay. That's the word. Um, so they're, they're having cosplay for three days and they have, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or not, no Dungeons and Dragons until I said something, but they have comics and band and music stuff and, you know, just name it. And it's there, except they didn't have any Dungeons and Dragons. How can you have a Comic Con with no Dungeons and Dragons? That just doesn't make sense to me. So I stepped up and said, well, I'll do it. If no one else will. So now I have a four or five hour block on that Sunday for Dungeons and Dragons 101 and a quick, with air quotes around quick, uh, dungeon masting game with me and my friends and all a whole bunch of people. So it should be fun. And I'm sure this is going to go over interestingly, uh, cause I'm also sponsored for it. One of the, one of the dice manufacturers that I really like, I contacted them and said, Hey, I'm doing an event. Uh, I would like to put your banner up because I use your dice. It's they're great dice, blah blah blah. And they said, "Sure, here's a care package and a banner." So, pimp our name. Cool. <laughs> so you got some free dice. Yep. Well, not just me. Pretty much everyone. The first thirty some people who show up will get free dice because of how many they sent us. Nice. So, so what uh, what version of the rules do you run, Chris? Uh, for my personal games, I normally run second edition because second. I, I like, yeah, I like the brutality of it. Uh, the f- one that I'm doing for the event will be fifth. Fifth. Okay. Cause it's I just a, a first, whole lot. Of- I was a first generation man myself back in the first, day, Sonny. Back, I played first. I'm not a big fan of first, but I played it. Uh, once they went to third and three and a half and four, those are all garbage in my opinion, but five. Five does a pretty good job. I'm debating on actually replacing all of my books to go to fifth, which is a lot of books. It's a lot of books. I think I'm at 50, so it's going to take a while. 
And All Mark's right, Mark, like, you, yep. you, can, uh, you can join the conversation again. I We're done. Just, just waiting for you to finish up. I had nothing to add to that conversation. <laughs> I have never, not only have I never played the game, I've never seen the game. Is, is there like a board? Are there pieces? I don't even know. Yeah, there can be. Okay. I know, I know nothing about it. I, I've never there. seen it played. I've never, I know nothing. And then my, my set of dice, one of many. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on to listener feedback. I'm sorry. I feel like I should be able to, to contribute something, but I got nothing. Not a thing. Then you, you know what you should do, Mark? You should go out and find a local group and just sit down or not even play. Just sit down and watch or uh, pick up a copy of Critical Role from YouTube and watch a episode and you'll kind of get an idea of what's going on. You know, I'm a little worried, three, it's frankly. Three hours. There's really two possibilities there. One... I'm going to hate it and I'll be mentally deriding people and trying to bite my tongue the whole time or B I'm going to love it and I'm going to lose like another chapter of my life because I've been sucked into it. Either of those are equally possible (laughs) and neither of them are actually good outcomes. I'm kind of afraid of either one of those. I think you would just be ambivalent to it. It just, I mean, based on how well I know you, I don't think it is something you would be interested in. So much like you are when Chris and I talk about it, I think that's how you would be if you were around it being played. You would just be like, glad you enjoy it. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I'm not mad at you. I'm not deriding I, you. I just don't get it. I, I went to a, a one uh, uh, science fiction convention just one time. And, and for me, it was the best people watching ever. I wasn't into any of it at all. I didn't enjoy the the mechanics of it, but I did enjoy watching the other people enjoy it. Uh, so I kind of mm-hmm. think it would be that sort of thing for me. It would be enjoying watching other people enjoy it. Which is why I think if you watched that critical role one time, you'd be like, I wouldn't keep watching this because I could see you enjoying the story and the interaction between the people, but I could also see you going i can control everything in this world that these people are playing in that's what i see mark as yeah i am a bit of a control freak you wouldn't mark would not be a good dungeon master nope not it would not work out well for the people (laughs) he would would want yeah the people the players would have a horrible time but he would have fun now, a YouTube stream of Mark being a dungeon master that has viral written all over it, but not for the players involved. You would be like, you, you know, you'd be telling the people how illogical they were. It's sort of like, you know, I don't know, Spock trying to be 12 Angry Men or something. It just wouldn't happen. <laughs> but. Nice. Uh, you've got me intrigued. Oh, uh, just a. This is a thing. It's going to be a thing at some point. I'm not sure when. It's it's a matter of time. Right now, my day job takes up a lot of time, and my my second job, i.e., my family, takes up a lot of time. But uh, during uh, a conversation on the uh, um, Android App Addicts podcast that I host over on the Podnuts Network, um, I read a review of one of the apps, um, and I did dr- a, a, a dramatic interpretation of this stupid review. And Uh so basically, uh, the guys on that show dared me to do a podcast of me only reading reviews in dramatic fashion. Um, so I, I've gone and I've, I've reserved, uh, the, the URL dramatic reviews.com. Um, it's, it's probably gonna, I'm thinking it's going to be a YouTube thing or maybe a Patreon only. I'm not sure, but it's just going to be me finding the best and or worst reviews 
on be it uh, Google Play, uh, Amazon, you know, iTunes, and just reading them in a dramatic fashion. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and as I as it actually materializes, I'll let you know. But um, I'm interested to see what this audience thinks. Have I piqued your interest yet? Hmm. Interesting. I can definitely say interesting would be the word I would put on that. Could be fun. You know, just, you know, surfer dude saying, like, it doesn't work at all. You know, they said it was blue, but it was really more of an aqua. Um, you know, just it could be interesting to to um, highlight other people's stupidity. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, what, what was I? I think it's Rush Limbaugh used to say something like when 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 an idiot gets on the air, the best thing you can do is just let them talk and, and just, you know, don't try to shut them down. Don't you know, don't don't tell your call screeners not to let it each through. No, you, you put idiots to the front of the line. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking at at doing is highlighting idiocy. Uh, anyway, uh, let's It'd read. Be fun. Let's read some listener feedback. These are not idiots. These are smart people. Uh, we only got two of them because they're fairly long. Um, Curtis um, says Boris is dead. Long live Boris. Actually, he didn't say that. That was my headline. Says, hey, Mark, Seth, and Chris, I've been listening to your show for quite a while, and I really enjoy it. When I heard the Boris Box show, I was inspired to build my own router. But as you know, one project leads to another. Before Boris joined the household, I decided to wire the house for Ethernet, and I had to do it right. So in December of 2014, I began the project. I bought a 1,000 feet of Cat6 cable, keystone jacks, wall plates, a patch panel. A patch panel? He's going serious. Yeah, a 16-port switch, a punch-down tool, patch cables, cable fishing rods, RJ45 wow. cable tester, and assorted hardware as needed. After two weeks of bumping my head on rafters in the attic and spackling over mistaken holes cut in drywall, I was quite proud of my work. I put my Linksys router between the cable modem and the switch and connected the switch in to the panel and plugged the computers into the wall jacks and bingo, it worked. Now on to Boris. Again, I had to do it right. I ordered a mini ITX motherboard with two onboard NIC interfaces. Uh, excuse me, Good network interfaces. Yep. I scrounged up an old 80 gig hard drive, bought two gigs of RAM and a mini ITX case, installed IP cop, and with a little bit of effort, got everything to work. I even turned the old Linksys into a wireless access point. I was very pleased by the outcome. Performance was greatly improved. I had never had to reboot Boris. The only time he went down was during a power failure. Speaking of which, two weeks ago, we had a thunderstorm roll in. We experienced several intermittent brownouts and the computer and the complete power outages. Even with a surge suppressor, Boris took a hit. The hard drive developed excessive errors, and it could not be saved. I temporarily replaced Boris with an old Asus router, and the radio turned off. Boy, oh boy, performance dropped off dramatically. When I got a replacement 500-gig hard drive, I just couldn't get myself to buy one with less capacity as the price difference was so small. I discovered that IPCOP hadn't been updated for a year and a half. As I was looking around on the internet, I found so many people were recommending PFSense. I downloaded PFSense and installed it. I must say it was the easiest thing I ever did. I was up and running in minutes. Boris is back and better than ever. Now I just have to replace that 10-year-old surge suppressor. I'm looking forward to your updated Boris Box episode. Kurt in Stanhope, New Jersey. Okay, Kurt. First of all, if you do everything right, why do you not own a copy of SpinRite? That's that's good. That would have fixed your hard drive, and then you'd still be good. And second of all, you should replace your surge suppressor every so often because there's two types of surge suppressors, and um, you know one is a switch that actually flips to protect, and the other has a resistor that every time the surge hits it, it eats a portion of that resistor, and so over time your surge suppressor becomes basically an extension cord. So it's a good idea to replace them periodically. you know, for the ultra geeky person, 
after any event such as that, or maybe once a year is a good idea. Um, you know, anyway, just a thought. So, but way to go, man. You are awesome. I thank you for listening to us. That's cool. Yeah. I would tell him the next time he goes to possibly replace that Boris box with uh, a new OS, uh, PF Sense is kind of getting long in the tooth. You might want to look at OpenSense, which is the uh, newer, fresher version of it. Same basic idea, but it, it seems to be a little more uh, with it when it comes to interface. It's a little more easy to use. It's hipping happening, man. But the nice thing about a Boris box is it's an appliance. It's a refrigerator. Yep. It's, a, it's a washing machine. You set it up once and you walk away. You know, you occasionally turn a knob here and there. You don't really need to keep it up to date. Uh, obviously, the security updates, if, you know, things like Heartbleed uh, uh, come around, um, you, you want to update those. But in terms of new features and that sort of thing, I, I look at, at routers and, and edge devices as, as new features are, are a bad thing. You don't want to add new most of the time. But I understand I'm a bit of a troglodyte when it comes to that. Uh, but good on you, Kurt. Um, I love when people do, um, you know, do do it themselves. Do the the hard hard earned project. Um, and and like I said, you uh, like you said, you did it right. You did everything possible uh, to do it the best way possible. I never do that. I string together pieces of crap until something kind of works. Uh, I never do it right. So I applaud you for that. You're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. <laughs> And I said I had two pieces of, of email, but I only put one in the notes. So what was the other one? Um, uh, oh, well. We'll kept it, pick that up another time. Apparently, I copied but didn't paste. Sorry about that. Whoops. We'll pick that up another time. I, I am, you know, I, I'm doling them out over, as time goes on. Um, so we've kind of been short shrifting the news. Um, do, do we want to do some news and then hit the topic? I, I'm going to let you go. Because, so, Seth, I know the news is your baby. Do you want to do you want to do news first? Um, right, let's do the topic first. Okay. And then we can because if it's a 5-minute topic, we can fall back on the news. <laughs> if it's a if it's an hour topic, you know, I might read one headline and that's it. All right. So, so that the uh the, the title here, The Price of Freedom, um you might expect this to be a uh, a military or or something like that. Uh, it's not. Uh I this is about the cost that we pay for free software. Um you know, uh, we in the open source community like to uh, make jokes about things like the Microsoft tax uh, and things like that. And, and but the reality is, and what got me to thinking about this was um, uh, I've got a laptop. Uh, it's, it's a standard run of the mill HP laptop. It's nothing special. It's uh, two or three years old. Um, and the Wi-Fi on it has never quite worked in Linux. It works. I can connect. I can web browse the web. But you know, on my uh, 802.11n network where I should get hundreds of megabits, um, on a good day, I get 10. You know, typically Ooh. it's around four. Um, and it's just, it's the the in, the Intel built-in system on a chip thing. The, the network driver just isn't great for it. And I've tried popping in other drives, um, uh, like the little Edimax thing uh, that you can get for a couple bucks. I said drives, other devices. Uh, and I've just never been able to get good, solid, consistent, high-speed performance out of my laptop. And as I was, you know, talking about this with somebody the other day, it's that's a price I pay for using mm-hmm. Linux. If I put Windows on that machine and and loaded a proprietary closed-source Windows driver, um, I'm pretty sure it would sing. I, I I don't actually know. I've never installed Windows on that machine, 
the day I brought it home, I popped the drive out and put a new clean one in and put Linux on it. So I don't really know, but I'm making that assumption because if HP had that kind of problem on all of their laptops, you know, I think I would hear about it. There would be, you know, there would be complaints and, but that's the price I pay for running Linux. Um, and there are other prices that, that we pay. So that's what this is about. The cost of freedom, the, the price we pay. Um, and, and, you know, the, the thing, their compensations, right? The, sometimes it's the moral high ground of, mm-hmm. uh, I am, I am free and I, I'm not beholden to any man and I'm holding to my principles. And that's the, the RMS, uh, mentality, um, where he's, you know, he doesn't own a cell phone because there are no truly open cell phones, for example. Uh, so, you know, that's one thing, but you pay a high price for that. Uh, and me, in my case, it's the, I'm a, I'm a tinkerer. I like, I like to mess with stuff. So the price I pay is to do a thing I enjoy. I like tinkering around. And so I'm willing to pay that tax on using open source software because, you know, it's, it hits my niche. It's like the, the, the shade tree mechanic that drives an old jalopy that he has to fix every couple of weeks. He likes the fixing. So he doesn't mind driving the old jalopy where he would never go out and buy a new, you know, $70,000 Humvee because then he, what would he do? He'd just get in and drive. That wouldn't work. Um, so, Who you know, that? I think most of us are in that frame of mind. We, we like to tinker with things. And so we do tinker with things. Um, but others, you know, we, we also try to be evangelists. And so while we're tinkering, we like to tell other people, Hey, this Linux stuff is great. You could use it in your enterprise. And, and that's when you run into the, the price of freedom. So that's my introduction before we go on any further. Uh, Chris, I, 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 we were going to do this last week, but you weren't here. So we punted. I, I wanted to get your ta- uh, thoughts on this as, you know, the command line godfather has to weigh in on the price of freedom. So what do, <laughs> what do you have to say about it? Well, that's, that is part of the problem. Um, when anytime you're talking about the open source and the, and the, the freeness of this stuff, there are going to be hiccups, mainly be from a couple of reasons, at least the way I see it. Uh, I always see the issues as, you know, we have the older generation who built the information and we didn't get any, there's no new blood coming in to replace the old blood as it either retires or backs out of the projects or, or anything like that. It ends up becoming a, um, stagnant system so that's the biggest issue the other problem i always see and i I don't know if it's something that we could truly fix but you know like for example nvidia nvidia releases a driver for linux it does a great job with that driver for linux but it's not open source because it's proprietary and they have you know that binary blob that you load in to use it which it works great and it's updated but no one else can see what that blob is doing Unless they try to step through it, um, and then it becomes it, a trust issue. You just have to trust right. the manufacturer not to be hosing you, right? Or that 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 particular binary blob that they sent you isn't compromised. You know, how many times did we hear or have we heard in the news where these the, the phones were compromised in the factory, or those uh, enterprise routers? Uh, I don't remember what was it. I'm trying to think of what brand it was that got it compromised at the factory before they even got shipped out. Was it uh Oh. It was a couple of years ago and now I can't think of it. Yeah, I don't remember either, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's and that's the reason that open source is is such at least in the in the market of security why they have such a good foothold is 
if you know what opens, you know, if you know how to program, you can look at the source, find out if they're what what they're doing with your stuff. But uh, if it's not open source, you're kind of leaving it up to trust. And do we really? Can we really trust everybody out there? Can we trust corporate America or corporate wherever to to not do something um, hanky with our data or do something silly? You know, like the uh, that uh, the wireless access points that had the hard coded pass, you know, key phrases. If you were on a certain, uh, if you tagged a certain port with this phrase attached and it opened up the control panel, you know, it's stuff like that, that, you know, it's not, it's not intentionally malicious, but it was left into the firmware and now it's out there for everyone to be exploited. And that's silly. All right, Seth, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, okay, but there's also stories of where malicious stuff has made it past first and second level eyes in open source products as well. So just, and I think, you know, there's the misnomer of Apple security. Oh, there's no viruses for Apple. And, you know, that's head in the sand kind of thinking. But there's also this, well, because it's open, everybody can see it. But as we have found out, systems that have been around for literally decades, we're finding tons of holes in them. You know, the whole um, security initiative that's funded by the Linux Foundation. Um, see, I can't even remember the acronyms. They just went away. But so, you know, yes, open source might be a better security, but open source is not perfect security because there's new stories now about issues with the TCP protocol that makes Linux and Android um, phones uh, open uh, to hackers possibly. So open security is good, but I don't know necessarily that it's better. You know, because I mean, to me, what's the difference? I really can't read either code. So to me, there's no, you know, because the people who pay, you know, Microsoft has very intelligent people working for them. Apple has very intelligent people working for them. They don't want, because, you know, if, if Microsoft stuff was security crap, then companies would dump it. You know, if Cisco didn't know how to build a secure operating system, nobody would use them to run the web, uh, with. So those, you know, and, and then they get paid for their work. They're not open source people that, you know, rely on the trust. Trust and goodwill is great, but man, you got to feed the baby. So you can't just say open source is good and closed source is bad. They're, they're both out there and they both need to be secure because if something is 99% closed source, that 1% open makes it vulnerable. If something's 99% open, that 1% closed can make it vulnerable. And nothing is 100% either way these days, uh, except maybe Richard Salman. And he's only that way because he has people working for him who aren't. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, he's not even that way. So, so I think what you were looking for earlier was the core infrastructure initiative yes. run by the Linux Foundation. Yeah, and there's a there's a, a an old quote that gets thrown around a lot that uh, given enough bug uh, eyeballs, all bugs are shallow. But like what we found in the case of uh, OpenSSL, there weren't any eyeballs on it at all. Nobody was looking. Right, it, yep. it worked, and and that was fine. So um, there, there's a lot of false dichotomies built there that uh, this is safe and this is not because we like it better. Um, and so that I think that's one of those cases where there was a false dichotomy created by you know the fans of one thing um, to say that it's safer just because eyeballs can look at it, but what history proved is that there was no eyeballs looking at it. 
Or when eyeballs did look at it 20 years ago, nobody had ever thought of this stuff before. And nobody thought, hey, let's go check it. Because 20 years ago, who does that anymore? Well, apparently the entire freaking internet. Remember Heartbleed? Um, (laughs) That wasn't something that had came out the day before. That was something that had been around, you know, not too long since last millennium. Um, Maybe, you know, because times change technologies move even though oh everybody uses this now except for half the infrastructure that was built and still utilizes that nobody looks at that anymore so it's security through obscurity um maybe i don't know fun times yay world (laughs) well then you also have the manufacturers you know of, of hardware that have issues in that they don't optimize their software and they're cheating you know like with uh like audio drivers or your issue with the the Wi-Fi drivers, Mark, you know, why, why can't we have that information? There really isn't any proprietary information to those. Why not let everybody have access to it? Let them build their own code, but we don't get that. Yeah. And, and in my situation, I just skipped that problem uh, for, for basic browsing. It's fine. Um, you know, I don't do a lot of like, uh, uh, media watching. I don't do a lot of Netflix or anything like that. I have the Roku for that. Uh, so just basic browsing the internet, you know, the four, six, eight megabits that I get, uh, consistently is fine. And when I want to transfer files, I pop it onto a USB hard drive and carry it over to the machine across the room, or I set up the transfer overnight. It's like downloading Netscape all over again, where I set up the transfer and go to bed and let it run. Um, you know, here it is 2016 and I'm still reverting to that old, uh, process because openness, yay, open source. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, I had a couple of things here. I had four different bullet points and I just want to go over them. And, and the one that we've already, uh, uh, backed into here, stuff just don't work plain and simple, you know, wireless mm-hmm. cards, audio hardware. Um, you know, you might need also for one thing to work or, um, um, what's the other one that I just blanked on? Um, pulse audio for another one to work or jack or jack or and, you, and you might need to have multiple things on the same uh piece of hardware to get one piece of software to work you need also and to get another piece of hardware hardware to work you need pulse audio so you got to jump back and forth stuff just don't work um and and you know chris you you already mentioned it it's not the open source community's fault um if you want to lay blame at somebody you can lay blame at the hardware manufacturers and and i get that but i also understand the the uh, I'm going to say um, excessive um, obsession that most hardware manufacturers have with corporate espionage. Well, if we live, let you uh, look at our specs, then you'll be able to make one just like it. Yeah, but no. I mean, uh, these I'm holding up now a little USB uh, sound card that I think I paid a dollar for, maybe a dollar ninety nine. So if you're worrying about losing your piece of the dollar market, you know, you're, you're worrying about the wrong thing. Uh, but yeah, the no manufacturers kidding. are still worrying about that, and they're still not releasing their code. They're still not uh, letting people do it because people might copy our stuff. Well, guess what, people? Your stuff is being copied all day, every day. That's a bogus argument, but one that people still stick to. And NVIDIA with their drivers, you know, they're they're getting better, and they're working with the open source community and, and dropping in binary blobs so that you can get things to work, but they're still not releasing their specs and letting the open source community get to it because espionage, because copying, because, yeah. Get over it, but you know because of whatever reason, yeah, right, and and just you know things just don't work, and that's the price of freedom. That's one of the prices. Uh, uh, Chris, do you have an example of stuff don't work in the name of freedom? 
uh, well, there's quite a few actually, as far as stuff don't work, you know, do we want to stay hardware still, or do we want to move off into software? Either one. I mean, my next okay. one is software, but sure. Well, I was going to say my, we can keep going on the hardware run, you know, USB cameras, you know, the, the webcam that we're all using right now in windows. I have a ton more options in my camera than I do in Linux. My keyboard doesn't have all the features that it does in windows because it doesn't have the proper drivers. My mouse, you know, razor, I'm calling you out onto the floor. Razor's mouse. I love this thing. It's probably my favorite mouse ever, but. I lose half of the buttons and I don't get any of the DPI settings to be it because they don't make a Linux driver for it. That's crap. I'm running this uh, hangout on Windows because there isn't a decent virtual webcam driver for Linux. It just doesn't exist. Um, There there are a couple of really good ones for free available. They're not open source, but they're free uh, on Windows. And so, yes, the basic functionality of webcam takes pictures works. But the advanced functionality doesn't. And the open source community, I don't want to say they're happy with it, but they often seem to stop at and settle for basic functionality because there's 90,000 different webcams on the market and they can't focus all their attention on, on all of them. Uh, I get that. But still, you, you can't move beyond basic functionality unless you get Windows or a Mac with a lot of hardware. Yeah, and it's silly. You know, why can't I control my mouse? You know, that's, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. It's Linux sees it. It knows what it is. It actually says when I plug the thing in without doing anything, it tells me it's a razor, blah, blah, blah mouse. So you can't tell me that it's not identifying itself correctly or the mic that we talk on or any of this stuff, but we just don't, we lose all the functionality and it's crap. And we've talked about this before. A lot of this is uh, lazy developers, like uh, go back to the old days of the Win modem. It was yep. a modem that tied directly into the Windows communication uh, infrastructure, and it would only work on a Windows box because the manufacturers were lazy and they could maximize profit by not actually coding a driver, not actually writing anything. There are lots of Win printers, the same mm-hmm. way that they just only work on Windows. You cannot make them work anywhere else because they rely on Windows to do the work, not. Uh, not just to recognize it, but they actually hand off Windows code to Windows and tell it to do the work. Um, so that's, you know, that's, again, manufacturers maximizing profit while minimizing uh, operability. But but when you've got a, an operating system that is 90 plus percent of the market, I can't blame them. I mean, I, I it's it's good business to ignore the 10% and focus on the 90%. But why ignore them? That's my biggest thing. You shouldn't ignore them or shouldn't put it on the envi- in the the open source community to build drivers for your stuff. That's ridiculous. Well, as one of my you bosses know? likes to say, he likes the phrase, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. There's a lot of squeeze involved in writing Linux drivers, and there's just not much juice. Because let's face it, Linux people, open source people don't pay for stuff. So, you know, they can well, they can put all this effort... Yeah, and, and you're going to go, you know, um, a humble bundle in Steam, but that's the exception to the rule. Well, but that, I was going to bring up that those are going to be my examples, but I was going to say, if they offered, say, hey, we're going to start building this driver for Linux for blah, blah, blah hardware, but we need help with the funding. The Linux people are going to be like, you're willing to do the driver work for a little bit of cash? Okay. Woink, there it goes. 
but that, I would almost bet money. Okay, but that still doesn't matter because the Microsoft market share is roughly, and this is just a rough number, 95 times that of the Linux desktop market share. So unless the Linux people are willing to pay 95 times the cost of the Microsoft people, because it's going to take roughly the same amount of work to produce the same result in different operating systems. So, you know, even if the Linux people agree to pay double, that is still nothing compared to the money they're getting from the Microsoft people. So I understand their frustration. I mean, you know, it's one of those, nobody will use it till their support for it, but nobody's going to offer support till somebody uses it. You can't get a job without experience. But wait, don't you have to have, but it doesn't matter. I won't hire you because you don't have any experience. So, you know, we're not going to get good Linux hardware until there's a Linux market share, but nobody's going to invest in the Linux market share because there's not enough hardware. And the problem is the people who write their own hardware, they don't care about the 90, the extra fluff. They're like, oh, it works. That's all I care about. I want to do something else. And they're not using the 17th button. You have to hit seven at the same time to reveal the special section on the hardware. You know, they're like, okay, that's a printer stuff comes out. That's a camera. I can see it. The mouse works when I move it. That's all I care about. I'm a debugger. I debug. And so that's why we get, okay, it works. And it's sad, but yeah, you know, that's, that's the price because I'm cheap and I don't want to pay. I have cheap stuff, you know, but even when the Linux market is willing to pay more, they don't, you know, I mean, it's just because the Linux market is so small that paying more is still less. And, and, you know, and when you, and when you tie that in with the fact that, you know, the, the Linux market is small and the developers are ever shrinking for the Linux environment, you know, where, what's going to happen in a few years, my beloved Linux is going to end up becoming, uh, last year's trash. It's going to be, you know, the IOT world and it's not going to be, you know, the desktop or the server, you know, Linux still runs the servers because, businesses uh can make that cost return on investment thing they can hire a guy a specialist in linux or unix um and that you know 100 grand that they pay that guy offsets the hundreds of thousands they would pay for server licensing so that's a place where it works but on the desktop market those numbers aren't in play it just doesn't work you can't hire a guy at nvidia and have him write drivers um, and get the same, you know, hundred thousand dollar benefit annually out of his work. Just you just can't. And I mean, let's face it the the desktop market is irrelevant for most of the population. We yeah. might have desktops, but the fact of the matter is they aren't needed. Everything is done on the cloud. It's virtualized. This so mm-hmm. you know who cares? You know, this is a, this argument doesn't matter because eventually all we're going to have are dumb devices that hook up to the cloud that's programmed by AIs and, <laughs> you know, we'll be, uh, I don't know, eating bonbons on the beach. And so let's go with, uh, with moving on now to software in, in sometimes, even when you take the economics out of the picture, um, the mo- a, a, a large percentage of 
open source software is somebody scratching their own itch. You know, yep. GIMP is a fine example of that. It's a great tool that created uh, that comes about by somebody scratching their own itch. Well, apparently there are no Linux people who have the itch of having an easy to use um, Windows Movie Makers or iMovie like uh, video editor. Because here it is, 2016. We've been promised that for years. Uh, you know, Lightworks is just around the corner, and KDN Live is just getting a little better. But the fact is, there is still nothing for making home movies, and certainly nothing uh, in the professional grade, unless you go full on Cinelera or Blender or something like that. There's, there's no, there's just no video video editor. It just doesn't exist, and there's no incentive for people to make it because the the vast majority of people aren't going to pay for it. Let's be honest. They're just not. And the, the, you know, the, there's no incentive to do it when there are other tools that work just as well and they're proprietary. And if you're Richard Stallman and, and, you know, uh, going to stand by your principles, you're just not going to vid- edit videos. Sorry. Yeah. The only one that I would bring up on that would be is TV. TV. Yeah. Yeah. TV. That's it. They've made some pretty good strides. Right. It's another one that's just credit. a few years from being good. <laughs> yep, or I wouldn't say a few years. I'd say it's a few features from being good. Because I, I mean, from the stuff I've been, whenever I needed to edit a video, that was the first tool I jumped to, and it does a pretty darn good job. It just doesn't have the extra bells and whistles that all the proprietary ones do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing with that, a lot of times, it's because the people who code it, they need money. Right. And so yep. a lot of, like there's this game I love. It's a board game. It's called Axis and Allies. Um, there's nobody around here to play it with. I have one I bought like six or seven years ago that is still sitting in my room. It's a virgin copy of Axis and Allies. It's never been played, but, um, I found this. It's a Java based game called AAA. Uh, and that is a game somebody did just kind of on fun and he turned around and he used that as a job interview to get a software job. So a lot of times these projects, somebody gets involved and then they realize, you know, I'm struggling to get by off of fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 a year whenever other people who do this level of work are working for Photoshop, you know, they're working um, or for these other places and they're making six figures. So I'm going to leave this project and I'm going to go get me a real job. And that's why all these great software products are one revision away from being as good as the paid counterparts because the, the market does not support them. And the proof I give is the market does not support them. If the market could support them, they would be there. And, you know, I, I love open source. Um, but you know, I'm more of a tinkerer. I don't really, honestly, I don't really care. But if the market, if the market would support the developers of these open source products, it would. But the fact is it can't because it hasn't. And that's like saying, how do you know it hurts if a log falls on your head? Because a log fell on my head. I know it hurts. I know the market doesn't support these developers because they're constantly leaving the market to go to places that do support them. Mm-hmm. A good case in point, we've talked about it before, the Ardour uh, uh, audio editing platform. It's uh, it's essentially uh, a digital audio workstation. It takes over your machine. Um, and the developer uh, gave that a try and, and uh, said, I'm going to do, if you'll give me the money, if you'll subscribe or you'll pay, uh, whatever it is, I'll do this full time. And two years ago, June uh, 2014 is the latest data I can find. 
Um, he said basically he was pulling in $45,000 a year to be a full-time uh, computer programmer. Coders make more than $45,000 a year, plain well, and simple. And so it, he just, you know, he gave up. And plus, I know there's people out there listening who think, well, $45,000 is a lot of money, but that's $45,000 being self-employed. So, you know, he's yeah. losing all kinds of extra right. taxes that an employee making $45,000 a year doesn't have to pay or that gets paid by the employer. So that 45000 is probably only the equivalent of about thirty to 35000 And I would say less. And, and, so I, an I would entry-level say it's programmer makes and that. This- and this is a guy who could go work for the Pro Tools team and make one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand a year. Right. Uh, so that that illustrates your point, Seth. Um, I I want to do this thing because I love it, but I can't get paid enough. I can't get paid what I'm worth. Right. Sure. I can a living yeah. wage forty five thousand dollars in the U S. is a living wage. Um, it's by no means uh, poverty, uh, but it's not what he could get somewhere else. Plain and simple. And and you you have to ask yourself which decision am I going to make? Am I going to make the decision where I pursue my passion for not much money? Lots of people do it. Cops, firemen, teachers—they do it every year. Uh, but this is a guy who has the potential to earn a lot of money and isn't doing it with this one project because there's just not enough people that want it. Yeah. And you know, I I've always said often, you know, that like the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, the only endowment an artist needs is a job. Uh, if people won't buy their stuff, if they can't make a living selling their stuff, they should go sell insurance and do art as a hobby. Uh, and yep. I feel the same way about the the Ardour guy. I, 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 Paul, I don't know his last name. Uh, Paul is has made that choice, apparently. Um, he's gone and he's still doing this thing for fun, but he's doing something else for money. And that is a perfectly rational, reasonable decision, but that's the cost of freedom. And it's too bad. It really is because I, I've I've used that system, the Adore system. Man, that is some awesome stuff. But man, but you didn't pay for it. It was part of my operating system at the time. Yeah, I, I didn't pay for it. I've used it. Didn't pay for it. I, I'm. But I if am, I was, but if I was using it full time as an audio engineer, I would have paid for it that's because true. that's the type of person I am. I installed it and used it because I was curious to see what it, how it was different from every other audio program out there. Right. But my point is you couldn't do that with Pro Tools. Oh, no. No, Pro Tools wants money up front. Right. As does everybody else. You know, yep. that's the way things... You don't get your Big Mac until you pay for it. It's a money up front world. But for some reason, when, when you move into the world of open, open source, people expect the rules to be different. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to, to oh. the... Oh, go ahead, Seth. Uh, well, that was Chris. Oh, that was Chris. Okay. Yeah, it was me, but go ahead. I'm all right. All right, the the next thing, you know, games we could talk about forever, but I want to jump straight down to desktop publishing. Another thing that we just don't have in 2016. It's just not there. And and no, Inkscape doesn't count. Um there is no uh you know, Adobe Illustrator um equivalent. It's just not. Um there there is a fairly decent um Oh, I just blinked on the thing. The the thing that GIMP is like. <laughs> Photoshop? Photoshop. There's a fairly dis- dif- decent Photoshop in that the, the GIMP is out there, but that's sort of, again, the exception that proves the rule. Um, if you want to, to set up uh, an in-house print shop, you can't really do it to the same level with open source products. Uh, again, there is a cost to that freedom. You can do it, but you're, all, you're, you're doing a little more work 
and you're getting, getting a little less value out of that work because you choose to be open. And that's sad. You know, it's another one of those things that I, there's no, you know, there's no answer to it other than what all, how else, what else are we going to do? How can we fix this problem? Well, we can do podcasts that whine about it. I, I'm, I'm part of the solution. No, no. Okay. Maybe not. Uh, and one last thing, uh, this kind of goes back into hardware, but also software. Um, open source has a reputation and it's a, a deserved reputation in many ways for being behind the times. You know, the, the latest version of, of Linux is, uh, you know, Windows XP. That's what people think. And in a lot of ways, they're right. You know, on my laptop, uh, Hibernate Suspend mostly works, usually, most of the time. Again, in 2016, in a piece of consumer hardware that there are thousands, millions of them sold, that's a no-brainer. That should work. And in my case, you know, one out of every five or six times, it won't wake up. And that's the cost of freedom. See, I have that problem with my Windows machine at work, so I don't think it works all that well in Windows either. So, would, <laughs> When I was running Windows, it worked every time. Uh, no. But anyway, and, you know, if... Anybody have ever tried to uh, install Linux and had to immediately go into the BIOS and set legacy mode just to get it to install? Let's hear it for legacy mode, people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, um, I don't know. Part of that is just, I think, simply because of how much more stuff Linux will work out of the box on than a proprietary. Like, for example, Apple controls the hardware. So if you try to load Apple onto your laptop, even if it were bought, it wouldn't work because it wasn't written for the hardware. You know, Windows works on more and more stuff, but it doesn't run on everything. So yes, the, the, the benefit of being able to put it on darn near anything, you know, there's a pile of rocks out there that would probably take the Linux kernel. <laughs> um, but you know, um, Whereas Windows is written specifically for desktops and, you know, and a lot of times I have found more and more that as I update the BIOS to the latest thing provided by the manufacturer, a lot of these issues are less noticeable. So, you know, it could because who updates their BIOS? Nobody ever freaking updates their BIOS. But yet, you know, so we complain about the tax of, of, uh, freedom. Whenever really we're paying the tax of laziness because we don't look to see, is this problem been addressed? And, you know, in the, lots of times in Windows, man, I, I've updated the OS and all of a sudden something that ran great on Windows XP ran like crap on Windows 7. I updated the BIOS and Windows 7 was great too. Um, you know, so I'm willing to kind of call BS a little bit on this one. A little bit. It's still a problem, but I don't think it's as big a problem or we don't put forth the effort to give the manufacturer, hey, you know, look, this product's 10 years old and five years ago we released this fix. You know, at least get us up current before you say we don't care. Um, so a little bit of BS on this one. Maybe, maybe just a little, I don't know. So, but all the rest, you know, we're, you're pretty much right on. But this one, I'm willing to cut them a little slack because you do get the added benefit of being able to run on, on so much more things. And one of the drawbacks is while it does run on more stuff, it might not run as well on the stuff the other things run on. Yeah. Chris, your thoughts? You know, I, I just as a thought that just came to me, I, I was, you know, going on your issue with the, the, you know, not having a desktop publishing app. I was just kind of looking through the, the my graphic or my uh, package manager a little bit. 
And I forgot about an app called Scribes. And that's supposedly a open source. Scribus? Yeah. Scribus. It's a thing. Totally f- yeah. Supposedly it's not like it works great. I mean, I've, I've tried it. It's not awesome, but it, it's okay. No. But I mean, maybe the problem also is, is that there's nobody categorizing things correctly either. You know, the, the, you know, you search for desktop publishing and that didn't came up, that didn't come up. So maybe we need to also look at advertisement as a prime example of something that could, you know, get some benefit from if we were a little more as the open source community seems to be in an echo chamber and not listening to the outside world. If we actually, you know, open the doors a little bit and let people in and made things a little easier for people, eh, might be worthwhile there to look into. Which leads me perfectly into my last point, RTFM. Read the effing manual. Um, When you try, when somebody tries to break in, that's their response. Yep. And And I have a prime example for that. Go ahead. So the prime example is the other day I was rebuilding my machine because I was stupid and broke it. But I was looking at trying to make multiple USB bootable thumbsticks for that version of Linux. Because I had a couple of friends who wanted it. They brought me over thumbsticks. And I didn't want to have to click the button to do it multiple times. I know it exists. I've used it. When I went asking the, you know, the support IRC channel for it to say, hey, what is this thing that I know I've used? I can't remember the name of it. I was told it doesn't exist or you're totally full of crap. Don't. Don't don't come in here and ask that type of a question. It's like, really? I'm in here asking for some some help, and I'm being told that either to go away, I don't want to deal with you, blah blah blah. I ended up finding it, and in, it's a gnome package that does it. But uh, it just blew me away that I got. And this is the official support channel for that operating system, that that distro, and I was told to leave because that is a stupid way of doing things and i shouldn't do it i should use dd (laughs) and i was like are you kidding me when there's a tool that exists come on yeah it's the classic case of answering the question that wasn't asked um and you know that's that's called the internet but the problem is when you're when you're doing uh that's one of the prices of freedom in that your only support most of the time is the internet and so you go out on the internet and you you find idiots Guess what? Welcome to the internet. There are mean people. There are trolls. There are jerks. Uh, but the the dom- you know it's in the case of say Microsoft technical support when you talk to an obviously Indian guy named Bob. Um, Bob is paid to be nice to you. That's Bob's job. He's not really paid to help you. He'll apologize a lot, um, and eventually Bob will send you to Frank, and Frank will send you to Jim, the only guy who speaks with an English accent, and he'll be able to help you. Uh, but each of these guys are paid to be nice to you. There's nobody paying the internet to be nice to you. So when the only place to go for support is the internet, you have a crappy quality experience 95% of the time. Yep. And, you know, I will, I will just add on to that. I've done phone inbound call support and I could make, I could be graded by my supervisor on the things they do and I could make an 80 
offering zero technical support. I, I would have to say something technical. Have you looked at our knowledge base? And that would qualify as technical support and meet that criteria. And I could make an 80 without knowing anything about the product. Did I mention our website? Wow. Did I greet the customer by name? You know, did, there's this all long list of stuff and you can make a B above average providing no technical support that and you know and so i mean unfortunately that's there yes they're paid to be nice but the other thing is open source people and again you know whenever we the the whenever uh microsoft said hey linux here's skype and linux responded with you know um visceral uh anal stuff but yeah i was um you know, we used to be everyday Linux podcasts. And so the news feeds I look through still are primarily Linux based. And there's this one thing raging. Should we install Microsoft products on Linux? And I'm like, you stupid idiots. I wouldn't want to be a part of you either. Um, you know, just what kind of stupid thing is that? I mean, Come on, well, that, let's... that goes down the paranoia run. I, I would almost bet that was going down the paranoia run. Are they going to be listening in on our conversations? Right. Right. No, um, no, it wasn't. It was welcome. They're not. They're not open source. They're closed source, so they shouldn't be involved in an open source system. And we're going to take our toys and go home. Oh, wait a minute. We don't have a real home because nobody plays with Dutch. <laughs> but um, you know, <laughs> so it's just we should grow up you know everybody's going to take their toys and go home and that's why you have one operating system that consists of i think the current count is 789,652 active distributions um rather than having a couple that were awesome we have all of those that are some of them are okay and some of them are dude you change the wallpaper this is not a distribution so Right, it, it, it's the I got mad at somebody distro, mm -hmm. and so yep. I I went out and spun my own because I got mad at somebody. Yep, unfortunately, and that's how they all exist, pretty much. I think. Yeah, and and I've said it many times before the uh, the the greatest asset to the open source community is the open source community, and the greatest liability of the open source community is the open source community. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I work in a in an IT department in the IT field, and uh, there there are certain things that you can count on with my coworkers, and that is a certain level of OCD is a given. It's just it's just a given. Um, you don't yep. get to be in the position we're in without having certain foibles, and among those is often all almost always not really good with people, right? So the the skill set that's good with people and the skill set that good that's good with computers has a pretty narrow overlap. That's a that's a Venn diagram with a pretty narrow overlap. And yep. I, I like to hope I'm one of those people in that 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 zone. But um you know it's a narrow zone. And so even, you know, just in my uh hundred or so employees that where I work, um, there's a narrow band of people who are both good with the system and good with people. And so, you know, that's why I go back to the fact that uh, people are paid to be nice. Um in in call centers because you have to pay geeks to be nice otherwise they won't do it and sometimes even if you are paying them they won't do it yeah no kidding it's a very you know, and that, hard and what's an interesting too, thing too is you know you hire these people who are bad with people in general and then at least in my current position they're shoehorning you into being a, pre a people more people person I don't know if that if that's initiative with you guys, but I know it is in my environment is that we're 
we're being told we have to be more personable. And it's like, but we're IT people and <laughs> IT people in general are not people people. And so now you're trying to make me a people person. Well, and plus, that the doesn't people work. Who, the people who get promoted are the people people and not the people who fix the stuff. And so the people who fix the stuff right. get frustrated and leave. So we have these crappy products and this doesn't have anything to do. This is just my little rant. So, you know, <laughs> you're reinforcing the crappiness of the experience because you're passing over the people who can do the job for the people who are nice to people who don't know how to do the job. And so all these companies start out great because they're cr- products are created by engineers those engineers get passed over for promotion because they don't interact well with people and they leave to start other companies and these once great products fall apart because you have a bunch of nice people who don't know how to do anything making all the decisions and that's how you get passwords hard-coded into the software (laughs) and backdoor ports on 789 um, where if you put does this port open the response is Yes, it does. And here's every password on the system in plain text because you have nice people who don't know how to do the job, but who need to get stuff done whenever Boris got fed up because idiot beside him who had a pleasant voice got promoted over him. And Boris answers 89 calls a day. And this other guy BSs for five minutes and hangs up the phone. So, you know, wow, yay, we got personal there all of a sudden that that guy yeah. that got personal. Yay, America. <laughs> Go capitalism. Okay. I, I, no, I don't feel different. I don't feel bad now. So, Sorry. And, and, I don't know where that came from. This show was not intended to offer any solutions. What I want to do, though, is acknowledge the reality that is often um, swept under the rug. We all like to pretend that everything's hunky-dory. And, you know... Um, I am still looking for a grandma-approved desktop operating system. Um, Chromebook comes probably the closest if you're willing to do nothing but Facebook. Um, What else does grandma need to do? Really? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, so I I think we've achieved grandma-approved. What we haven't achieved is, um, you know, workstation-approved, enterprise-approved, and and do we need to be enterprise-approved? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but until we address some of these issues and at least, you know, come right out and say, because the, the, the open source press it just ignores it every time they, they ignore the fact that there is a cost to migrating to open source. They ignore the fact that there's a, a tax to be paid, uh, uh, for using open products. Um, so we, we need, you know, I am the voice crying in the wilderness, a voice of honesty saying, I like Linux. I use it every day, but it's got problems. And we need to admit it. We need to call them out in the in the on the carpet and address these things, or they will never be fixed. And Linux will always be a two percent operating system. And maybe that's okay, but I want more. I want more. I want to be able to be. I want uh, RMS to be able to both follow his principles and use real technology. Right now, he can't do that. Right. Because, you know, the, what is it, Gnome, Tis, whatever that kernel is, is still in beta after right. 20 years. <laughs> so, um, there's some, but you know, Mark, the last time we talked about this, we were so convicted by, um, our on actions that we donated 10% of the, uh, show's income 
to yes. the open source products or open source projects. Um, one, we haven't reported on that. Shame on us. But two, have we kind of fallen by the wayside on that? You know, do, or do we even care about the introspection anymore that we, uh, that we, t- is talking about it good enough? Have we become the society we've mocked in previous episodes? Well, I will say that uh, since we no longer have sponsors, right, and since the the only uh, money that ever comes in is uh, the tips on Patreon, the occasional PayPal tips, and what people buy on elmanopi.com uh, slash Amazon, those numbers went way down, right. Um, and I have been making, and you're right, I haven't been tracking it. We even have a spreadsheet I haven't filled in, but basically, it takes me four or five months to save up a hundred dollar donation. Um, and I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but that's just the way it is. And so I've been, you know, that's what I've been doing. I've been saving up and making a donation here and there, uh, when it's a big enough donation to do it. So 10%, you know, that means I've got to pull in a thousand dollars. Um, on average, I'm pulling in between 120 and $150 a month on all fronts. Uh, so, you know, uh, yes, it's there. But it's it's I'm making much smaller dents than I used to. Yeah. But you know, I said we. I didn't mean just right. you. You know, I used to give a little bit, but now that I don't really get much from the show, I don't really give anything. But here I am griping about it with the best of them. So right. you know, I'm I've become the American consumer. Hear me roar. <laughs> and see, and and I still purchased my open source whenever something comes up that I want to, that I'm using. I figure if I use it more than three times in a month, it's worth paying for. And I have. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a fine principle, but it doesn't actually fix any of the things that we talked about. No, I, it doesn't. Money, money doesn't fix these problems. Money is a good thing, but money doesn't fix any of the problems that we talked about. Money doesn't yep. fix wireless cards not working because that's the manufacturer. Um, you know, money might fix uh, apps being developed, but it's going to have to be you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars consistently over a decade. That's what makes that work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking for an individual person, right? To, to pay a programmer, 100K is actually not a well-paid programmer. That's an average run-of-the-mill programmer. So you got to pay a, a guy 100K for five years to develop and support something that's, you know, worthwhile. Uh, and not one guy. You need a team of guys. So let's say you need uh, 10 guys. Say we want to make an, make an open source Pro Tools. You need 10 guys making 100000 a year. That's a million dollars. And they're going to need... hardware. Yeah, they're going to need at least two years in development to get it going. Um, and then another two years of updates. And in, you know, in uh, the fifth year, after you've spent $5 million on it, you'll get something equivalent to Pro Tools that's open to the community. But that costs money. You've you've got to you got to spend five million dollars to get something that's free. Anybody want to argue with my math on that? Uh, you forgot no, the CEO making bonuses and the <laughs> no, cappuccino the managers, yep. in the executive bathroom. You really going to take ten million dollars, Mark? I do want to argue with your math. <laughs> yeah, maybe five programmers if they're just them five. But you have five programmers and a manager, and then a manager for the manager and HR. HR for the because yeah yeah people IT people aren't people people so you need the people people to and, the, and then you also have to put in there payments for advertisement and infrastructure you got to have pay guys to be guy. nice on the phone you got to you got to have paid support staff and then you got to uh, have your networking staff to keep the machines running for the developers 
So yeah, I don't. I mean, it's probably gonna cost twenty five million, not five. Which is sad. When you think about it, that's a sad number that we have to come up with that much money for a a full functioning program within in five years. Yeah, and so that uh, some of that was tongue in cheek there, but you know that's that's that, to get a free piece of software that's commercial grade, you have to pay commercial grade prices, and yep. then you know. Uh, there's the altruism that, uh, there that says we've done this. I mean, look at Mo- Firefox, the Mozilla Foundation. They have a lot of people working on that. I, I haven't looked at their books. Uh, I'm, I probably could. It's an open source foundation. I could probably go do that. But they're paying people lots and lots of money to get this enterprise-grade free product. Um, and that's what it takes. That It takes millions of dollars to make something free. And so we need to stop whining myself included when the free stuff doesn't work because it's never going to work until we start paying for it and paying a lot for it and consistently paying for it and and you know the there's just no reason to do that like for example open office exists because in 94 5 something like that sun microsystems decided it was cheaper to buy a software company than to upgrade microsoft office that's why that's why open office exists so Sun Microsoft Systems had enough uh, inst- installations of open of, of Microsoft Office that it was cheaper to buy a software company, and then they they double dipped there by open sourcing that open so- yeah open sourcing that and making it a foundation, and then they got a tax break, so they saved money yep. and then they saved some more money. That's how really high quality prof- uh, stuff comes about, and Open Office uh, I think stands out in in its forks LibreOffice and and uh, Star uh, Star Office going all the way back there. Um, those things uh, stand out as enterprise grade products, but it took an enterprise to create them. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and even then, in some ways, they're parody with Office with Microsoft Office, but in other ways, they still trail. You know, um, automatic recovery. You know, it, it's it's not a big feature, but then again, you know, I didn't pay three hundred dollars for it. So maybe, you know, it, I should back up more. Yeah. And then why should I pay for basic office skills when I can get a free Google Docs account? So, you know, that's going to clip a lot of the money that these things might make because people say I use it, I want to pay for it or advertising or, you know, anything like that. The The market for them is being undercut by the web where... um Anyway, yes, yeah. and that's where you make the distinction that I often make between freedom and freeness. So the difference between uh, LibreOffice and Google Docs is freedom versus freeness. Uh, Google spends lots of money on that, and it is free to use, but it is not freedom. It doesn't rec- re- represent freedom. So in that case, it, the cost of freedom is your freedom. The cost of freeness is often freedom. Yeah, and because you know we've learned um, in. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I can't remember the name. The open source company that came out with the video desktop player thing that was awesome. Boxy, I think, wasn't it them? Yes. And then, you know, it was open source and everybody loved it. And then they said, hey, thanks for the help, guys. We're turning this into closed source now. If you want the same product, it costs you money. What? 
So, you know, that's a danger. I mean, really, that probably did as much to hurt the open source world as anything because you had this greedy company built themselves. And then I I trace it down. Boxy, you know, they didn't survive and they were bought up. And if I'm not mistaken, I think somehow Sony acquired the remnants. But product was built on open source and then they shafted the community and so you know they got all that work done for free and then they turned around and bleeped the people who did the work so and it destroyed the company yeah but you know it also destroyed and the product yeah well it destroyed the open source community as well i'm not going to support something else i'm not going to put my time into looking up bugs for them when they're going to turn around and do that so you can't say you might could say it wasn't a big effect, but you can't say that it had no effect on other open source products. Um, you know, because it, it takes money and they, they gambled, they rolled the dice. Unfortunately for them, it was snake eyes and not seven. So, but you know, that snake eyes was felt around the world. Yeah. I, I hate shows that are all whining and no, uh, answers, but there are no answers to this. Um, yeah. You Linux, in particular, open source in general, will never move beyond the hobbyist environment until, um, until it fixes these problems. And and if that's okay, if you're okay with with hobbyists and the Raspberry Pi being the the core of your platform, that's that's where you are. Good, good on you. But uh, you know, I hope for more than that. But uh, I, the future is much more Google Docs than Open Office. Yep. Yep. That's the way it's going, isn't it? Well, and I, I think it's important to be able to have an honest conversation. You know, we use a lot of tongue in cheek and over the top here, but hopefully we expose some issues where the conversation can at least happen now. And it's not just, but it didn't cost anything. And I don't want to pay for my Windows operating system and Linux is free, but how come it doesn't work? Wah, wah. You know, th- there's a cost either way. And until both sides admit that, you know, Microsoft has said it for years. Um, you're going to have to retrain your people if you're going to go off of Microsoft Windows and Microsoft Office. And they're like, no, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. You know, total cost of ownership is more than just a concept. You might can argue it's only X instead of Y, but you, it's real dollars involved, whether it's uh, additional in-house support, additional training, um, or hardware maintenance on older hardware because you didn't upgrade to the newer things. It, the, the product might not have cost you money, but in order to not cost money there, you had to pay money somewhere else. And the conversation is, did the money I save outweigh the money I spent? If the yeah, answer is yes, do it. If the answer is not, don't. That's the cost of migration. And whether you mig- migrate from closed source to open source or closed source to another closed source, that cost is always there. But yep. you're right. The, the open source community ignores it often. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? I think we've well and truly beaten that dead horse. Uh, anything else, uh, Chris, you want to say before we move on? No, I think we're all right. All right. Seth? Um, no, I, I tried to. I'm all done. I mean, man, my head okay. hurts. I've thought too much. <laughs> All right, so we're uh, almost an hour and a half in and haven't done a news story. But Seth, I got to do this top one here. Um, Microsoft is giving keys to everybody. Wait, have they gotten on the uh, the uh, free um, free world all of a sudden? 
Um, no, there was a secure boot snafu. Microsoft leaks backdoor key firmware flung wide open. That's the Ars Technica article, um, where basically the gist of the story was Microsoft inadvertently, you know, there was a whole thing moved to secure boot to prevent rootkits and bootloader viruses and all that. Well, Microsoft, you know, just, Thought it'd be fun to let everybody have access to those keys, but there was an update that came out on the 12th that said it was only for ARM and RT devices. The regular like enterprise platforms are not hacked. So, you know, we'll see if that's the case. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's the story, you know, Microsoft. Uh, was the driving force behind this secure boot technology and promises security. But yet when they accidentally leak the keys where everybody else can have access to it, then all of a sudden, what can we do? Nothing. <laughs> right. All, yep. When all your eggs are in one basket, the best you can do is watch that basket. Yep. And watch it fall down the drain. Yeah. And then the last one, just a little levity there. You know, it's bad when Russia gets hacked. Yes, um, this comes from technewsworld.com. Russia is playing the cyber victim card. Um, the Federal Security Service, which is one of those, um, one of Russia's agencies akin to like the NSA or CIA or one of America's alphabet soup, claimed that they found, um, malware across more than 20 state authorities and defense contractors. So, I mean, when, when Russia gets hacked, you know, malware is serious because, you know, the, um, the meme that's out there and how much truth there is to it is that, you know, Russians are the Uber cybermen of the uh, modern world and, you know, they're behind everything somehow. So when they can get hacked, man, what choice, uh, what chance do we have? Yeah. When, when Boris goes from protecting to attacking, there's not much you can do. Yep. Or, or when you get past Boris's defenses, you know somebody is uh, somebody serious. All right. So at least now we can say we did some news on this show. So we didn't completely <laughs> ignore that. Um, so, Seth, um, take us back in time and, and make me feel good. Tell me what happened this week in history. Okay, on August the 11th, 2016, Apple inventor Wozniak was born. Um, Wozniak and Jobs entered into business after he designed a single board personal computer known as the Apple One in 1976. So, um, this week in history, um, he was born. And unfortunately, I forgot to, when I was copying down the year, I accidentally put this year by mistake. So I'm sorry, Waz. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, but no, I'm actually protecting your age. So happy birthday, Waz. As much as I love to bash Apple, I mean, he, they brought the computer. They did much to bring the computer to the modern world. Yeah. And, and Wozniak being the, uh, Steve Wozniak being the, uh, prototypical open source guy was just like, I'm just going to give away these plans. Everybody should have one of these. And Steve Jobs said, no, you're not. We're selling these. Um, and so that's um, – Apple wouldn't be what it was, what it is, if Steve hadn't uh, been a capitalist. Again, there is a cost to that, right? Right. Um, there there might have been 500 Apple Ones in the world if, if, jo if Wozniak had just given it away to anybody who wanted it because not many people wanted it. They didn't know they wanted it yet. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, that I, th there are a few living legends still around, and uh, Steve Wozniak is definitely one of those. Yep. 
and where you know back to my little thought there a minute ago of you know who's going to end up taking their taking their place when these guys go somebody needs to start stepping up yeah i i wish it could be me i'm not that smart all i know how to do is rant yeah uh, and apparently there's not a lot of business in ranting there's not a lot of money to be made in it uh, i don't know jim rome does all right uh, so, Seth, what ha- what do you have this week? Uh, uh, <laughs> I would say to lower my productivity at work, but if I do this at work, I will be out of work. Okay. Well, this is Team America World Police is one of the funniest and unfortunately one of the most vulgar movies um, I've ever seen. But there's a song. Um, it's called Freedom Isn't Free. Um, I was listening to it getting ready for the show. And I was like, oh, man, there's some wordy dirds in it. So... A little bit of NSFW lyrics, but it's still very funny. Um, anyway, it's, it's a, it's from the Team America World Police soundtrack. I thought it was funny and it went along with the topic of, you know, the cost of freedom. All right. Uh, I've not seen that movie, so, uh, I can't, uh, can't comment on it. One of the funniest movies I've ever seen, but like I say, you wouldn't think that it's a little a movie, vulgar. You wouldn't think a movie with puppets could be dirty, <laughs> but <laughs> it is. So, um, you know, it's one of those, you know, people, my friends know I've seen it, but it's one of those movies you can't admit to in Christian circles as having seen it. <laughs> uh, all right. And, and Chris, you posted a link in the chat room. Is that something you'd want to share with the audience? That is the link to the the site that or the the software that does the multi USB live CD generating thing. Um, it's the multi writer. In case you were ever needing to make multiple copies of a boots a boot USB, that is the tool. That what I was told that doesn't exist in the support chat rooms for uh, Fedora. Calling you out there, Fedora. Your guy said that this doesn't exist, and yet here it is on the gnomes page. So, ha. So you can uh, plug in three or four USB drives if you've got that many ports and write simultaneous copies of a boot drive to that yes. many. Wow, that's kind of cool. It's an awesome utility. When uh, yeah, And it, it does work over a hub. But I will preface it saying you better make sure that that hub is not one that will drop or bottleneck or blow up or stop working because it will, well, you'll be able to recover the thumb drives, but it'll, it'll say it successfully writ, but it won't, yeah, definitely use your onboard devices if you are going to use it. And so their friendly neighborhood technical support said that you should write a batch job with sequential DD commands. Basically, yeah. Instead of using this tool that is click, click, go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good on you, Fedora. Nice work. Yes. From a Fedora ambassador, I might say. We, we practice yeah. intellectual honesty around here. Yeah, oh. definitely, definitely was my mo- a moment of I can't believe I just got told to do that in my own favorite os all right so this is for a new os (laughs) this is the part of the show where i tell you how you can feed back to us what do you think about all of this should we just shut up already um i i think i get i get that kind of email a lot so i know some of you think that but go ahead 
bring it on. Uh, go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, fill out the world's hardest captcha, like questions like, what grows in a cornfield? If you can't figure that out, I don't want to hear from you. Um, <laughs> fill out the form that sends me an email that gets priority in my end basket and we will read it uh, on the air most likely. Uh, or you can go dial 559 uh leave a message on our voicemail, uh, Google Voice. Uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's Google, so they're listening in and uh, the jackbooted thugs will be coming to your door uh, any minute. But if you're r- willing to risk that, leave us a voicemail and we'll probably play it on the air. We, I like to hear what you have to say, so uh, go do that pseudo. Go and leave us a comment. Um, but uh, your, uh, your drive may not be working well because you're running Linux on it, and so I, I could understand if it takes you a little longer to do this than you might otherwise. Uh, also, it, do us a favor. Go to iTunes, and I know this is the wrong audience to ask to go to iTunes, but uh, go to your grandmother's computer who, who is running iTunes and leave us a rating and review. I would appreciate that. Also, anywhere else that you might do it, Stitcher or FM radio or uh, whatever, um, not FM radio, uh, last FM, anyway, whatever. Uh, wherever you get it, if there's an opportunity to rate and review it, please do. But like it or not, the iTunes store is the de facto list of, of podcasts in the world. Um, you can go to Google Play now. You can do that. That would be awesome. We're there too. But uh, again, iTunes is the one that has carries the most weight. So please do it. And uh, we appreciate it. Like I always say, if you love the show, tell others about it. If you don't like the show, tell me about it and give me the chance to fix it. So Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for hanging out with me. You, the listeners, uh, thanks for listening. Um, you're literally the reason we do this. So we'll see you next week. No, we'll see you in two weeks when we're back. But that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Geek Rant.